I am Tova Cito. I believe our lives should be happy, healthy, and abundant. And I believe it's our job to get us there. Every week, I will have inspiring, educational, and fun conversations that will help you live your very best life. Welcome to The Remedy. Hey there, happy Monday, and welcome to another episode of The Remedy with Tovacito. I am thrilled and honored to have Sunny Browse Erasmus. Did I say the last time? Yes. <laughs> in my studio today, um, we are all in for a huge treat. Um, I met Sunny today in the parking lot, um, but I heard about Sunny from a friend um, named Janice Browse, who is your aunt. And uh, I was on a trip with her recently, and she was. We were talking about my podcast, and she was like, "Oh my gosh, I have." I have a niece of mine that you need to have on your show. And I was like, well, tell me about her. And she was like, well, her name is Sunny and she's 31 years old. And she was diagnosed with ALS when she was 27 years old. And she's the happiest, <laughs> funnest, sweetest, most adorable, amazing young woman that, that you're ever going to meet. And I was like, wait a minute. She's 31 and she has ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. And she was like, yep. And she's had it for four years. And, and the joy that she exudes, you just, you won't believe it. You've got to have her on. And so welcome, Sunny. Well, thank you. Welcome to the here show. We are. <laughs> yes. And here we are a couple of weeks later, you said yes. And, yeah. and I'm so thankful. Um, I loved, I loved how Janice, um, described you because, that's not how I, that's not what I expected when she, you know, when she's talking about she's amazing and she's so happy and she's so joyful and oh, P.S. She has ALS and she's 31 and it would seem, it would seem that if you have been given a terminal diagnosis at the age of 27, that, um, that it would be hard for someone to, if that happened to me, I don't know that people would describe me at 31 as joyful and happy and so full of life. And, and so I was like, boy, we, we probably have a lot to learn from you, Sunny. And so, um, if you will just start by telling me a little bit about you, where did you grow up? Um, yeah. Um, so I grew up in the booming metropolis of Heiko, Texas. Heiko, um, Texas. Heiko, <laughs> Texas. If you want to go to, San Antonio or Houston or Austin, and you don't want to go 35, you'll go through Heiko. Oh. So it is the intersection of 281 and Highway 6. Okay. Very start of the foothills of the hill country. and um, Was it beautiful? Did you grow it, up on land? And uh, no, I was my only friend that lived in town, which meant my mom cooked for the masses because it was too far to go to anybody else's house between practice. Um, Heiko has about 1,300 people. I graduated with a 42. Um, everybody played everything or you didn't have enough people to play anything. <laughs> so I have younger twin sisters and the three of us just, we played every sport. We changed shoes, we changed courts, and we were always there. So, What's the age difference between you and your twin sisters? Two years. They're two years younger than me. They just turned 29 on Sunday. Oh, yeah. 
And so it's just the three of you. We have an older um, half sister, and she's the other weather child. Her name is Wendy, mm-hmm. and um, her, which we share. Um, the four of us share a father. Okay. okay. And that's the brass connection. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so are your parents still in Heiko? Uh, my mom is. She's remarried to my stepdad, who I think is more of a hostage at this situation. Um, he's absolutely wonderful and handles mm. all of our craziness uh, with grace and patience of, I don't know, because I couldn't imagine marrying into this group. But How um, old were you when they got married? I was a senior in high school. Okay. So they've been married for... 13 years in mm. April. So, awesome. yeah, yeah. So they're still there. Mom was justice of the peace for about 20 years or so. Oh, wow. And um, she was the cafeteria lady. So she literally knew everything we did before we did it. Like, <laughs> if it didn't happen at school and it happened out of school, she knew it. I mean, it was just, and it's still that way at 31. Mom knows what happens before it happens. And I'm like, I haven't even posted that yet. Or how do you know? Like, I haven't even told anybody that it could have gotten back to town. So that's a good mama. It is. It is. She is. She's a mama bear for sure. I tell my kids all the time. I know. Yes. Moms know. (laughs) Yes. Yes, she does. So where did you go to college? I went to Charlton. Um, I had an opportunity to go to bigger schools, and just being a small fish in a big pond just wasn't for me. I don't know. Where um, is Charlton? So Charlton is Oh, Charleston. uh, No, Tarleton. Oh, Tarleton. Charleston State. Um, It's in Stephenville. Okay. And it's okay. It's it's a small um, D2 school um, in Stephenville, and... And uh, I was able to be there for my sister's junior and senior years, 20 minutes from home. Oh, that's um, awesome. So I had a great opportunity to be a full-fledged college student um, and still go home for dinner on Sunday evenings. And that's that's Be good. involved with my sisters and not be too far. And then they joined me two years later and finished out my junior and senior years. So they went there as well. well. Mm-hmm. Aww. Uh, so I got a Bachelor of business administration there um i can remember sitting in my mom's kitchen the night i graduated high school and was like i am not graduating in four years like that's just not gonna happen i'm not in any hurry and four years to the date with two extra hours i graduated from college and i looked for every reason not to go get a master's i applied for the most ridiculous jobs (laughs) and couldn't find one and so i loaded my stuff and Moved to St. Marcus and got a master's of education down there. Oh, and wow. Finished my last semester online, took a job up in Weatherford at Weatherford College, and I've just been rocking and rolling since then. So, so what was your first job out of college? I ran the dorms at Weatherford Junior College. So I moved in with 270 roommates and their mothers. <laughs> And I um, love and their mothers. Yes, we were all very close, whether we liked it or not. And um, I was 23 when I took the job, and two weeks later, um, we had a freeze, and the pipes burst in one of the buildings. And I had to relocate, oh like um, 75 boys to a hotel. And it was in the middle of my 24th birthday, and I called my boss and was like, if you want me to be here on Monday, you have to let me out of here. Like, <laughs> cabin fever is beyond 
<laughs> beyond set in and taken over like we're in a shining situation like <laughs> it was situation. it was i was terrified <laughs> and hilarious. so yeah but we survived and a couple floods and the rest of the time when i was there and we all lived to tell about it so <laughs> it was great it was a great starting job and i'm very thankful for my weather for cause family and uh, i was very thankful to leave <laughs> I know, I was very got out. To leave. Yes. <laughs> Where did you yeah. go after that? So I, uh, while I was um, losing my headphones, while I was at Weatherford College, part of my job was being active in the community and um, taking the gospel of Weatherford College into the community of Weatherford. And so I wor- volunteered for a program called Junior Achievement. And Junior Achievement is a workforce development program that takes what's happening in the real world and bridges the gap between what's being taught in the class and how it's applied in the workforce. And so um, I got to volunteer at a couple of different elementary schools and second grade really is my niche. And so we're same maturity level and all the same jokes. And so we just, so I, I did that for multiple semesters and then junior achievement approached me about coming and being their development um, uh, d- director of development so I started there in August of 2014 and that's and where you work today uh, I actually am retired okay um, it was a uh, I started with junior achievement in August of 2014 I was diagnosed January 20th of 2015 okay. um, so I worked for three and a half years for junior achievement and um this past fall, my boss and I sat down and we both, I mean, we knew I was going to have to, a day was going to come that this conversation was going to have to happen. And it was, it was time. I had the opportunity to really close out a lot of my affairs. And um, I, my last day was a day of one of our big events. So I got to say goodbye to a lot of people all in one sitting. Mm. And um, I, am now on long-term disability so I am I feel like I work a lot more today than I ever have in my life but I can't always tell you what I've done that day uh, (laughs) to accomplish what I feel like I always get a lot done. So you were diagnosed in January did Mm -hmm. you say January January 2015? Mm -hmm. So my birthday's February 4th so I was diagnosed at 27 um like 15 days before my 28th birthday. And so you obviously went to the doctor because... So ALS is a disease of deduction. There is no, for lack of a better word, there's no qualifier. You start coughing or sneezing, you go to the doctor, they swipe your cheek. Oh, yeah, you've got the flu or, oh, you've got strep. There's nothing like that. So... I was playing softball, grew up an athlete, grew up playing softball. I was playing an intramural softball game in August of 2013, and I was warming up with a friend, and my glove wouldn't close. And I was set to play first base that night, and catching is an important part of first base, especially if you like your teeth. So I was like, well, that's kind of weird, and I made excuses um, for why I couldn't play for the couple weeks after that. Um, But there was no pain. So I was like, maybe, you know, I just kind of played it off because it wasn't painful. Surely if it was serious, it would hurt. Mm -hmm. And so um, 
What kinda, excuse did you use? I just a busy or my hands weren't working or I was tired or something. Um, I had developed a twitch in my left ring finger and I affectionately named it my party trick. Um, but again, it wasn't my party pa- trick. Yeah, so look what I can do. Um, but it wasn't painful, so I never it never crossed my mind to go to the doctor because if. If it was serious, it would hurt. It would hurt. Right? Such a, so, such a good thing to say. It's yeah. true. And so, flash forward to November, December of that year. Of and, 2013. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And I threw my back out. Uh, I was sitting in my office, and then I wasn't sitting in my office. And it was so excruciatingly painful. And I went to the doctor because that hurt and she evaluated my back told me that I probably just had a bulging disc sciatic issues typical first you know office job um getting old kind of thing and then um she asked me if there was anything else I wanted to talk about and I said no and we went on with the appointment she said is there anything else you want to talk about and I said no and right as we were walking out the door, she said, I just, I feel like I need to ask you again. Is there anything else you wow. want to talk about? And I said, well, look. <laughs> and I showed her my party trick. And she was like, I, mm, that's, that's not normal. That's, that's not okay. What kind of doctor was she? Uh, just a PA, just a, your regular family <sighs> practitioner. Um, I I'd seen her hand. Mm-hmm. I'd seen her a handful of times for other things, and I guess she could just tell that there was something on my mind that I wasn't telling her. What a great doctor! Yes, and um, so she set me up with a neurologist to or to have an MRI and to rule out MS. So MS is. Um, popular is not the right word, but it's it's more common common. as a woman Mm -hmm. as in that age group. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was the first um, test that we ran and I didn't have any lesions and I wasn't having any issues that usually are starters to MS diagnosis. And so um, I came back to her and she referred me out to a spine specialist. They thought maybe it was a pinched nerve. Um, and by that time, I was uh, I could I had the party trick in both hands, um, and was having issue with uh, fine motor control. So they thought maybe it was a bulging disc that was pinching my spinal cord or a nerve um, damage or something of that effect. So now this this was something that you kind of kept quiet or did you like other people would notice but you were like oh it's no big deal yeah you just just kind of played it off yeah I just didn't I didn't handle any you know thing in front of people if I didn't absolutely have to at this point I mean my hands were still functioning I was still able to curl my hair and do makeup and stuff like that it just it wasn't it wasn't a major issue at that point but it was something that we definitely wanted to figure out what was going on. Um, were you nervous about it, even though you were quiet about it? Would you sometimes look at your hands and think, I wonder what's yeah, going on here? Yeah, and at that point, I mean, it had kind of gotten like, so one of the main perks of living in group housing with 270 roommates and their mothers is unlimited hot water. So I took baths all the time, mm-hmm. and I would just, sit in the bathtub and read until the water rain cold and I'd drain it and I'd 
fill it up again. And then it would get to the point where I'd have like a hard time pushing myself up out of the bathtub or have a hard time um, walking afterwards. And um, I remember telling friends like, and this was hindsight. This was after I'd been diagnosed and stuff like that. Um, but it was like, it's not like I walked into the gym and was trying to hang clean 200 pounds. Mm-hmm. This is a movement Just I do stuff. all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was having difficulty with it, carrying groceries in the house and stuff, but always just found a way to excuse it and ignore it, it plow yeah. through it. Yeah. Um, so we did the spine specialist. We ended up, I went to a, um, pain doctor, um, I found out real quick doctors don't talk to each other, so I had to have a copy of all my scans and test results and stuff like that. And um, got to an appointment, and of course, you know, you know they make you sign your life away that you're not going to be addicted to opioids, and you're not going to share whatever they give you, and mm-hmm. you know, we won't see you back here tomorrow for the same thing <laughs> and all the stuff. And so the doctor walked in and was like, on a scale of one to five, what's your pain rating? And I said a two, and you're one and a half of it because your office is where Google Maps said it was. <laughs> and he looked at me and he was like, then why on earth are we going to do cortisone injections in your spine? And I said, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And he said, you need to go back and start over. You know you're not supposed to be here. Wow. And I said, but this is where they told me to go. And he said, you know better. And so I went back to my primary and we started over. Wow. We ran what a, blood what work. good doctors. Yes. But it takes that advocating for yourself. Mm-hmm. Because if I wouldn't have fought him, mm-hmm. I would have gotten injections. And that mm-hmm. wouldn't have worked. And, mm-hmm. you know, and it's a $50 copay every time you go. And, uh, you know, and once you get up to that point, it's a six-week waiting period to get into specialists. And the first appointment is usually just looking at each other. And then I want you to come back. So it's another six weeks and another $50 copay. And it's just emotionally exhausting. Yeah. Um, I met with... Uh, so you go back to your PA. I go back to my PA. Start over. He drains me of all the blood I have in my body. We ran every kind of... Um, um, what's it called? Panels, just mm-hmm. different things to see. Like if blood work? Uh-huh, mm-hmm. just to see what could possibly be linked to it. And nothing. Inconclusive. I'm, he- I'm healthy. Everything There's, comes back great. Yeah. And so he sends me to a neurologist. He said, I think the PA, the, this time I saw the actual doctor, not the PA. And he was like, I think she was on to something thinking it was neuro. Um, so he sent me to my very first neurologist, Dr. Shen, who is absolutely amazing. And he and I um, duked it out on multiple occasions. Um, one of the tests that they like to do is called the EMG. And what they do is they put receptors um, in places, and then they shock you with a, I call it a cattle prod. It's not really cattle prod. But (laughs) what they're trying to do is test the time from the shock to the receptor. So think of like carpal tunnel where that gets pinched off. They're trying to kind of see through there. So um, that's fun. It's about an hour. Shocking. And then after they've thoroughly got you good and worn out from that, they like to they take a needle and stick it into your muscle and they listen to how your muscle reacts at rest and how it reacts um when it's expanded so you had to put like 
they put the needle in my chin. I had to stick my tongue out. <sighs> they put the needle between my fingers, and I had to spread them out. Like, they want to listen to how your muscles. And that test is very interpretive. So I've had four of them. See, because every doctor wants to do it themselves. And so basically, Dr. Chen got to the point where he was like, it could be this, which is motor, it was multifocal motor neuropathy, which mimics ALS, but is curable, or it could be ALS. And he's like, we can fight your insurance, we can do whatever we need to, or I can go ahead and refer you to somebody that can do something about it when we get that answer so that's what got me started at texas neurology in dallas and where um, was where was this doctor that you were seeing in fort worth okay yeah dr chen was in fort worth um so then i started at texas neurology in dallas um with dr philip and i went in for the first appointment and she was great she um we clicked from the jump she very funny very um relaxed made me feel comfortable um, and then I, that was in December of 2014 when I went to see her for my follow-up in January, 2015, I was by myself. Um, I thought this was going to be an appointment like all my other appointments. Mm-hmm. You go, you meet, you go, I can't help you. This is who you need to go talk to. Never in my wildest dreams did I think I was going to leave that day with the diagnosis. So the, a doctor tells you in Fort Worth that this could be a disease that mimics ALS, totally curable, or you could have ALS. When you, were your parents with you? When no. You, you heard this alone. Mm-hmm. And so when you heard that, what did you think? Um, I don't know. You know, we, he, it was, that was his best guest. But did you um, think, oh, of course I don't have ALS. I'm sure I have this other thing or I, it's something Honestly, else. I left that appointment, went to Joti's and had margaritas. <laughs> that was the only thing I was worried about was, was, was some margaritas and um, making that next appointment. So you weren't um, stressed or worried or fearful? No, I mean, it was in the back of my mind, but it was... I mean, until you know, I'm not a, I'm not a worrier. I'm surrounded by worriers, and my mother being the ringleader. So, I try and, and do a good job of not worrying. Um, like until you we have facts, legitimately yeah. don't have that Mm-mm. in you. You do Mm-mm. not worry. No, um, which is an amazing quality. It I'm is. sure everybody who's listening to this is like, how do I get that? Yeah, like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm blissfully ignorant is what I call it, and I just, I just try to, you know, until we know. Well, that's a God-given no, gift with yeah. all of this. So, you don't have a diagnosis. It's maybe this. It's maybe that. You go in to, to this new doctor in January. They do some blood work. And then you come back, or I, was, I met is this with her in December. Okay. I met with her in December. They okay. did blood work. They did the EMG. Um, she evaluated me, and then she called me back in January for a follow up appointment. And so it says you need to come and, in. Yeah, and, and, and I thought this was going to be a routine. Going to do some more tests. Probably but she didn't say you me. probably want to bring someone, Mm-mm. or so, so it was just come back. We it got was, your results. I got dressed and ready for work. I mean, I, my full intentions were to drive to this appointment, 
get my referral to the next one, and then go to work that day. Okay. And um, so you sit down, you walk in her office, sit down, and she um, she said, I there's three there's I guess three levels of ALS: possible, probable, and definite. Definite is only categorized um, post mortem, so mm. possible and probable are based on. Uh, levels of you know the testing and the evaluation she's like so you fall into the um probable category you exemplify most of the symptoms that ALS patients have um and uh she said you're gonna need a very strong support system and I said don't worry about me I got it they're just you know I honestly thought I was going to work from here so I came by myself like when you've been to that many doctor's appointments, you can't keep asking people to rearrange their schedule for you. So right. me going by myself wasn't abnormal. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just kept, I was like, don't worry about me. Trust me, I've got an army. Mm-hmm. They're waiting on phone calls. Yeah. Um, and she said, you've got a couple of decisions. Um are you interested in a second opinion? And I said, yes. Um, so I got referred to UT Southwestern at Dr. Elliott. Um, she asked me if I was um, interested in clinical trials, and I said yes. Um, so I got hooked up um, uh, with information on how to um, participate in those. And then she asked me if I wanted to start on the only FDA-approved medication for the, to slow the progression of ALS at the time, and it's called Rilazool, and I say that wrong, but that's how it's spelled, <laughs> and that's, um, um, I just make it up, but um, <laughs> I said, why Why wouldn't, would somebody choose not to go on this medication if it's Great the only question. one? Why would anybody choose? And she said, well, it's really expensive, and I was like, well, what is really expensive? Yeah, how expensive? What, is, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. And she said, I don't know. Uh, you're going to have to talk to your interns. You're going to have to see. Um, but some people choose to take the money that they would spend on that drug and go on one last trip or one last memory with their loved ones. And I was like, okay, well, can you write me the prescription and I can decide if I want to fill it or pick it up or whatever and she said yeah so it was ready at Walgreens when I got home that day mm-hmm. and um I, I remember pulling into the line at Walgreens and um the girl said we got your we got your order but we don't have that medication in stock um, we're going to have to order it, but it should be here tomorrow. And I just started crying. And she was like, I'm so sorry. This happens all the time. Like, it's not a common medication. I was like, no. And these are happy tears. I am so relieved that this medication, this, this disease, isn't something that is so common that you keep this in stock for just anybody to get filled. What a thoughtful I just, I just couldn't, I was so thankful that I had to wait a day to pick it up because it terrified me to think that this was so common that that it was something you just had it in stock. That's such a sweet thought. I I don't know a lot of people who would have that thought in that moment. And so so I came back the next day because it was in to pick it up and it was $10. Stop. I hugged her. 
She was like, uh, I'm like, I'm a hugger. I'm just going to deal with it. Yeah. It was $10. I love that you yeah. hugged her. Yeah. And now with our, um, I've been able to keep my insurance, um, through work and I'm on Cobra and, and Medicare and all that kind of fun stuff. But, um, I don't have a copay for it right now. Wow. So and, how much is it without insurance? Um, I think it's about three to five grand a year for it. Um, uh, they, in May last year, they approved the, only the second FDA approved drug to slow the progression of ALS. And it is called, uh, Radicava and, um, it is intravenous. So I have a port and mm. her name is Paula, Paula <laughs> Port. Um, and I do that every two weeks and that one bills my insurance about 50 grand a month. Yeah. That is unbelievable. Yeah. So I pay about $700 a month for my Cobra, mm-hmm. but my insurance oh. pays out just for that drug alone over 50 And then you factor in the, the unbelievable. 12 to $2,000 that I spend monthly on just the over-the-counter stuff. Thank God for insurance. Yes. Job. Yes. So after you... When you got that diagnosis, when you're sitting there with that doctor and she tells you that you're in the probable category, what what happened? So she gave me a piece of paper with credible websites mm. because that's the world we live in. Mm-hmm. And so she said, I want you to educate yourself, but do not terrify yourself. That's really good and advice. And I said, Okay. And I, when I got home, my did best friend. Did you cry? Did you cry? Oh, I did. I, yes. Okay. I cried. So you, but it was you, more of a, this, this uh, is going to sound insane. It, they were tears of relief mm. because we finally had an answer. Yeah. At that, that point, I was crazy. so emotionally exhausted of chasing. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure in some instances you felt crazy yes because you've got this and you've got this and you're young and you've played sports and you're healthy and and i've got better things to do than on a tuesday drive to dallas and pay you 50 dollars to tell me you'll see me again in six weeks like it's a long road i I mean just to have the finality of a diagnosis right or wrong i don't care what umbrella we're holding i'm just ready to hold one Mm -hmm. so we can move forward on something else did she use the word terminal yes Yes. Um, so, of course, this was about six months after the ice bucket challenge. So I I and my inner circle and immediate group on Facebook knew what ALS was. Mm-hmm. So me saying I got had been diagnosed with ALS, I didn't have to clarify for anybody. They knew what it was. Thank God um, for that. What a, I mean... That was such a silly thing. My kids did it, but I mean, what a just think about how you're. I'm sure you're not the only one. It's amazing. It's amazing the things that that the ALS Association is doing with, um, with that money, with the things that they're Mm -hmm. capable of doing. Um, I had the opportunity to go in May this year to the ALS conference in DC, and um meet the top of the top of the ALS Association Mm -hmm. and the people that are on the board. And we got to meet with our local legislators while we were there. And um, basically, the ALS Association is trifold. 
they put money into care services, which is That's home so visits, sweet. the support groups. Um, they put money into the multidisciplinary clinics, which is um, I go to uh, quarterly at Texas Neurology with Dr. Heitzman. And in one setting, in one copay, I get to see my neurologist, my OT, my PT, my dietitian, my speech therapist, my nurse, my clinical coordinator, and there's donuts and barbecue. <laughs> it is the best appointment you could ever go to. Like, You're I have a waiting list of people to go. And it's a party when my group Aww. goes. And we just make friends, and so we signed away our confidentiality, so we meet in an infusion suite, and it's a sit there and, oh, I'm having that issue too. What are you doing for it? Oh, I tried this. Where are you going? I want to go. Like, I'll go to this event, if you will. And, you know, that is my my community group. That is my support group. I don't need to sit in a church on a Tuesday at 2 o'clock and, mm-hmm. and, and talk about how bad ALS is mm-hmm. when I can go to clinic and meet the people that are living it every right day. Right there and, with you. Yeah. So it's awesome. It's amazing. Beautiful. That's really beautiful. Yeah. So I got home. I called my, my I best friend. I was about to say, yeah. who was the first call? Yeah. When you got um, diagnosed, who? What? My very first call went to my friend Casey. Um, she was down in Sutton. She had been um, texting me the whole way. And I told her, she was like, give me the number. I'll schedule your your second opinion. And she was in the middle of PE. And she was just screaming at her kids and loving me and just talked me the whole way home. And then um, my best friend Don came over to the house, and I think we had two beers, a bottle of wine, and a little cheese ball. And we just sat there, and we read until something was not what we wanted to read. And then we skipped over it, and we just were blissfully ignorant in that moment of, this is what ALS is going to look like. And oh, like, I remember friends. her reading and she was like, well, it says that hot showers exasperate the exhaustion of your muscles. And so you need to avoid those. And I was like, well, we're not doing that. So you know, just cross that <laughs> off the list. And it was like, um, you know, you just kind of went through and it's like all these things that are going to happen. And we're like, well. And it's not happening today, so yeah. we'll just figure it out as we go along. And we're three you and a half years into You had that mentality from the beginning, like, well, it could happen, it might happen, it it probably will happen, but it's not happening today. Right. I mean, I that like that's powerful. I immediately really turned powerful. into a counselor, <laughs> which is which is fun. I mean, it's it's it. I am able to which is insane that I'm the one with the diagnosis and I'm the one comforting others, but I'm able to comfort those around me with facts and information. Like the statistic is ALS is terminal within two to five years of diagnosis. Mm. Well, I'm at three and a half and I'm still giving it hell. So obviously I'm not, you walked in here, you drove here. I'm not, I'm not that statistic, Mm -hmm. you know, like Mm -hmm. everything you read is based on, you know, the population. Well, I'm not the population. I'm mm-hmm. sunny. So educate yourself on ALS, but then use that in a conversation to ask me about mine. Mm-hmm. You know, and unfortunately, most people that are connected to ALS, it's because they've lost someone. Mm-hmm. But 
we're all we're all leaving. Nobody's yeah. staying on this planet forever, and yeah. I know where I'm going when I go. So, you talking about the person you know that died of ALS—that's a connection for me, not a deterrent. Mm. I know that I'm gonna die. I know that you're gonna die. It's a morbid fact, but it's a fact. Mm -hmm. And so, tell me about the person you know that had ALS. Mm. Don't don't deter that. Don't story. be afraid to have that yeah, conversation share, with me. Share that relationship because that's it's empowering. It's mm. it connects us. It mm. makes you human. I love that. It's so. I think that's so brave. Of I'm sure you don't look at your. I'm sure you don't look at yourself the way that other people see you. Um, and, but your strength, your humor, your spirit. Um, I, I love what you said. The, the disease, the statistics is, says this, but I'm not the disease. I'm sunny. Right. That's such a powerful thing to say because what you're saying, I think, in that, and correct me if I'm wrong, is my spirit, <laughs> my the the spirit of Sunny, not the body of Sunny, is actually in control of this. Yes. Yeah. And you you are making decisions every day about what the spirit of Sunny is going to be right. about, regardless ALS of what is the what ALS is. I have. Mm -hmm. It's not who I am. Mm -hmm. It's um it's a platform I've been given, mm -hmm. and it's an opportunity to meet people that I would never know otherwise and the ALS community is the most amazing group of people I've ever met mm -hmm. would we jump ship if given the option yes but we're all in this fight together and I have just made the most amazing friends and people that I may never get to hug face to face mm -hmm. but I get to hug them every day on social media or through encouragement, text messages, emails, whatever, support is the most empowering group of people I've ever met. That's such an amazing... Then you'd never had met them. Right. No, and I would never have this connection otherwise. Are you... What was Sunny... How would people describe Sunny pre-ALS? Uh, stubborn was the word that kept coming <laughs> up in that conversation. Um... I think busy. I've always been busy. I've always been 100 miles an hour in 15 different directions. And um, I've always been the one that is where whatever's going on, whatever we're celebrating or um, whatever's going, whatever is happening, I'm there. You're right in the middle um, of it. And I think I'm still as much that person as I can be. Um, it just have to be a little bit more purposeful with my and decisions. Mm -hmm. It's funny. My husband's always like, "Slow. We need to slow down." <laughs> I'm like, "What? You? I Come on, that. let's go. <laughs> we can be. We can fly home from Cancun to be at a reception in Granbury at six. Come on." And That's so adorable. it's just insane. Yeah. Tell me about your husband. He is so cute. Um, redheaded. He's a golfer. He's from South Africa. And does he have that hot South African accent? He does African have that <laughs> hot South African accent. Um, his parents is really thick. So when he talks to his parents, it comes out um, a lot, especially if I can't hear the other side. Mm, mm. Uh, like and if I he's on the melt. phone. Yeah. 
I smelled like butter when he's talking. Um, but it's funny because his accent is very fluid. He speaks like what he hears. And so one of the very first weekends I took him to Heiko, we were there for an event. And we came home and he had no G's and long vowels. And he was like, what is this? <laughs> and I said, this is Heiko. And he was like, I don't like it. I was like, I know what well, this is just how we talk. I'm sorry. We're not in any hurry down there. So how did y'all meet? We met through a dating site. Oh really? Yeah. And yeah. um we met and on the um very first day that we started we connected and we're chatting on the site. We went on a date and it was What year uh, did you meet? We met in We met in November of 20, was it 2016. So you met him after you had been diagnosed? Yes. Okay. So we started dating. I took him to thanks, my family Thanksgiving week after we had started dating. Whoa. And yeah, welcome to the family. Um, <laughs> and that I will I'll never forget that New Year's um I was in the shower I was getting we were getting ready to go out and meet friends and I came out and I said we we need to have a serious conversation because I this is gonna get better this is gonna get worse before it gets better and better is death Mm -hmm. and that's a lot Mm -hmm. and I need to know that you're in this for the long haul and how long had you been dating at this uh, point, month and a half. Wow! But you, and, you were just yes. You like you? Did yeah. you love him at this? I point? did. You, I did. I, and I was all in. But I also who to. who in their right mind would choose this life? Mm-hmm. Who would choose to love to watch the person they love deteriorate? A really good and, man. And <laughs> so we joke all the time. He'll, um, I love to irritate him. I'll irritate him, and he'll, um. He'll, he'll look at me and I'm like, you chose this. You knew. You know what you married. You know what you were getting when you signed that license. So so you, you, and so what did he say? when you, He said, I'm in. Wow. I'm in. A month and a half after, mm-hmm. after knowing you and, and understanding. How far along was, were your symptoms? I don't know how else to yeah. say. Is that a good um, way to say it? Yeah. I mean, I was... I mean, I was obviously progressed, um, but not so much so I wasn't um, still fully functioning myself. Um, I wasn't walking with uh, with Phil, my cane, at that time. Um, I kind of looked like I was drunk when I walked, and I just kind of played it off. And um, I mean, there was obviously something noticeable. On our very first date, we went bowling, and I wasn't strong enough to hold the bowling ball, mm-hmm. but that wasn't going to stop me. So I just kept, you know, just played it off that I was this horrible bowler. <laughs> and I was like, later on their second date, I was when I dropped the ALS bomb on him. And he was like, so that's why you were not, you couldn't hold the ball? And I was like, yeah, because I would have whooped your ass if I could have. Like, <laughs> I'm not okay with not being able to compete. Like, that's not okay. So, you know, that was kind of opened that conversation up where I think he thought I just was a bad bowler. And, and he learned, no, I'm really competitive. And 
I would have whooped your ass. You're just lucky. <laughs> you're just lucky that I have this handicap right now. Wow. But yeah. How long did you date before we, you got engaged? He so we started dating in November. He proposed in July, mm-hmm. and we were married the next November. So we were we got married a year a after. week a week before our one year anniversary. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And and what has it been like? What has it been like being married with ALS? It's he is the most patient person, which is amazing because I I know I'm stubborn and I'm hard headed and I'm bossy and I just I can't imagine taking all of this and then having like knowing you have to do this stuff for me or it's not gonna get done. So um he thankfully does it with a smile and um, puts me back in my place. And um, we have a good relationship with just give and take in that form. But um, he doesn't like needles. <laughs> so he doesn't like to be in the room when I do get my port access. But he can do all my medications for me. Um, so he lines up my pills for me every night. Um I have a breathing mask. He'll help me with that. And, that you sleep uh, with? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I try to do it in the mornings because I'm kind of claustrophobic. Mm. Um, we're working on ponytails. He's learning That's how adorable. to do ponytails. Um, <laughs> with the two trips to Cancun this summer, he's learned all about bathing suit straps and <laughs> how some buckle in the front and some don't have straps. And he just... He's just adorable. learning all things girls. It's adorable. It is. It's fun. He's proud of himself when he accomplishes things and I'm I'm he's gonna learn the French braid. That's that's <laughs> all my list of things <laughs> for him to learn how to do. Do you ever just watch him do these things for you? And, all the time. And just shake your head like Yeah. How, like what a man. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I'm just picturing it. Yeah. And I'm thinking yeah, I just what I do. I just stare at him all the time. He's like, "What?" I'm like, "I just like watching you. Mm-hmm. You're just so sweet." Do you ever feel insecure that you are you can't do for him or be for him? <clears throat> yes, the way that somebody do. else could. Does I do. that ever make you feel insecure? It does. It does, and I. I really, really try my best to overcompensate with words. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things we did when we very first started dating was the love languages. Mm-hmm. Um, and we kind of try to resort back to that as the disease progresses because a touch was something of how I showed love. Mm-hmm. And now I can't always do that the way that I want to. Mm-hmm. Um and so just trying to find ways to to still show that you're loved and you're appreciated in different formats that don't necessarily just mean me standing up and walking across the room and hugging you because mm-hmm. I can't always do that. Mm-hmm. But if I'm up and you're close, you better believe I'm <laughs> pinching your butt or, <laughs> you know, holding on as tight as I can. So we just try to, you know, and he's comforting and reassuring that. You know, um, he knows when I'm having a hard day or when I'm worn out and just will try to make me feel better that he he knows I'm doing the best I can. Yeah, of course. What does a bad day look like? Uh, a lot of sleep. Um, I just, the heat 
-hmm. It's just a killer on me. Mm -hmm. Um, I haven't really had a hot summer since, um, since I was diagnosed and, um, it's just, just, it just zaps me. Mm. I just have all my energy. And so there are just some days that getting out of bed is just, it's too much or doing laundry is too much. So I just try to, you know, find something to do or I work a lot on my phone. That way I can stay connected and keep doing things without, um, without just laying in bed watching Netflix all day. And some days laying in bed watching Netflix is is enough. That's what I had to do Sunday because we'd been running. Because that's all you could week. do. Yeah, yeah. So Well, you were in Cancun and then mm-hmm. you had the wedding mm-hmm. part or the reception. reception. And yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'd stay just, in bed on Sunday. Yes, after it was one. wonderful. <laughs> um, what do you miss? I miss dancing. That was something, um, being in the two weddings this weekend, I missed getting out there with my girlfriends and just acting a fool. And, um, I mean, I still do. Um, I take my, I have a scooter named Garth. Um, I take Garth out there and, um, (laughs) take him out there and he, he dances around with me or, um, I'll hold on to somebody and stand out there. It's just, you don't want to fall on the dance floor because that makes everyone else really uncomfortable mm-hmm. and um, when we're all just trying to have a good time. But I miss growing up in Steamville. That's what we did. We went dancing mm-hmm. every night of the week. We always talked about if we could put our beer down, we may actually be skinny because we <laughs> were just working out hour after hour, two-stepping up on the dance floor. Mm-hmm. Um, so I miss. I definitely miss that part of it. You miss dancing. Um, I do. I do. What part of your body that doesn't work the way that it used to? What what if you could if you could get one back? What would you want back? My balance. Your balance. Yeah, the balance part of it is really hard um, for me, just because I like to go and I like to be out and and do things. And I because I don't have balance, I ha- I have a hard time reacting to people. Mm-hmm. So like. I doubt anybody purposely steps back into me, but if they do, I can't react to that. And then if I lose my balance, you look like the asshole that knocked me over and (laughs) that's not the case. And I know you don't feel that way, but then you ruined your day. And then I'm embarrassed because I'm the one laying on the ground. And I know just, I think if I had some of my balance back, I wouldn't, that would help so much with walking, with showering, with being able to run errands with, you know, all the things that come with being busy and yeah. 31 and married and a homeowner and a puppy mom. And, and I'm sure you, you know, have a million friends that. and you have yes. family and you want to be able to go and do mm-hmm. and be the way that you've always gone and done and been. Yeah. And everybody around <laughs> me, I mean, they come in and they help. I mean, we rented wheelchairs for both the Cancun trips and took turns driving and always joked about taking the stairs and, um, I mean, we just, you know, everybody comes in and helps compensate, but it's it's hard when you can't just just get up and do it, you know? Yeah, of course. I just... I, I can't even... As much as I love to get up and do and go and control and... Mm-hmm. I mean, it, I just can't imagine the how long it would take to get used to the limitations. Yeah, well... Um, I'm not there, so I can't. Yeah, <laughs> I can't offer any advice on that. So it's just, and people around me are always like, just ask, and I'm like, do you know how dumb it 
I feel asking you to hand me something. Yeah. Like, you're obviously busy, so I'm waiting till you get done with your task so I don't distract you from what you're, but, you know, and just hard. When we were walking in, um, I saw you, you, we had to walk up some stairs and, I, and you asked for my help, mm-hmm. which I was really grateful that you asked for help because mm-hmm. uh, I think asking for help is probably something you've had to learn how to yes. do, even though it's yes. probably really hard for you because you're used to be so capable. Right. And now there's just some things you cannot do without help. But I noticed a guy across the hall, he was about to walk out and then he noticed you and he noticed you're, you have a cane, you're struggling walking up the stairs and he goes, Oh, and, um, I thought in that moment, my mom, my mom did not have ALS, but she had bone cancer and eventually went to her brain and her body just deteriorated. And I saw all the time as her body deteriorated, as she lost mobility and, and her ability to move the way mm-hmm. that the rest of us move. A lot of people were so kind and so considerate and like, Oh, excuse me, or let me get right. that. And then there was just a whole bunch of people who weren't yeah. very considerate or weren't. And so how do you, how do you deal with, how do you deal with stares? How do you deal with um, people who are inconsiderate? How do you deal with people, how do you deal with people who are not understanding or don't get it or not thankfully, helpful? Thankfully, I haven't met, uh, I ran into a lot of people that are just like purposely mm-hmm. um, under, not understanding. I mean, most of the people, once they realize, we just, we live in a world of like no peripheral, um, no one's paying attention to the world around them. Mm-hmm. Um, we live in a world of headphones. We live in a world of being multitasking. Mm-hmm. And Head so, down. Um, Head in our phones. Yeah. And so I I am not shy. There's not a shy bone in my body. I never has been. And so I have no problem asking someone, to, will you hold my hand as a step up? I'm always amazed when people offer and I don't have to ask. They'll see me get out of the car and they'll just kind of, keep an eye and see if they can help or they'll watch me make sure I get to where I'm going. Um, I think my age helps with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like if maybe I was older, people would see it more as an elderly issue mm-hmm. and not mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. obvious, you know, mm-hmm. muscle issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and the cane definitely helps because people are automatically Aware. know that mm-hmm. what's going on. It never, um, Ceases to amaze me the people that make comments like, oh, we're going hiking. <laughs> yes, yes, we are. We're going hiking. I have one pole, and you just watch me nearly fall walking down the stairs. But yes, give me a mountain. Let's go. Let's do it. And, you know, just people, things come out of their mouth before they, before they think. And I have that condition. So things come out of my mouth before I think. And that is, I got that from my that mother. Condition. And so we just, you know, just kind of deal with it. Um, the awareness part of it is a huge thing. Um, education has always been my passion. So being able to get in front of large groups of people, small groups of people, um, social media, face-to-face, any podcast, any way to let people know, like, I look normal. Mm-hmm. Or you may see on my Facebook that I've been running all over the world, but when I tell you I'm tired, I'm tired. Mm-hmm. And 
that that means something different to me than it does to you. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the coolest things I saw on Instagram was that there are buttons in London that they give to people who have um, invisible um, disabilities. And they wear them on because of the public transit system there. And they wear them on public transit and it says, I don't. I have an invisible disability. Please offer me a seat. Oh, and wow. so just because, you know, they walked onto mm. the train or. That's they, powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just, and that's awareness. And mm-hmm. so that's, you know, I, I am still walking and I am still functioning, but it is by the grace of those around me that I can accomplish my goals. Yeah. And so, you know, I just try to ask for help when I need it and. Um, if you don't move, I'll, I'll move you. <laughs> I have a, my little scooter, um, Garth has a horn and everybody's like, you need to use that for people to get out of your way or back up. That's always, they're like, you need to press that when you back up. And I'm like, no, the horn is sacredly reserved for empty beer. If you hear the horn, that means my beer is empty and I need another one. If I'm back, I don't want to confuse people. Yeah, no, it's sacredly reserved for that. If I'm backing up and you're in my way, you're going to move or you're going to back up with me. I've, I have power, so we're going to do this together or you're going to get out of the way. But the horn. <laughs> just for it's to sacred. let you know my beer is empty and so that is you know just the humor just trying to be it's great it's great you are very funny um if there are so many people there are so many people who have who don't have a terminal illness and 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 they don't have your spirit how do you how do you maintain such an amazing outlook, spirit, humor, sense of humor when you're dying? Don't cry. I know. It's not a crying disease. <laughs> I, um, I just, I, it can always be worse. That's kind of what motivates me. Um, other people have had it a lot worse than I have. Um, and I am going to be in a position that is a lot worse than today. So today big struggle was finding my hairbrush and if that's the worst thing that happens today that's a good day you know and there's so much more coming and I've I've lost four four friends in the last probably six months to ALS and friends in the ALS community mm -hmm. and um one of which was diagnosed same time I was um and so I'm just I'm thankful to be able to advocate on their behalf mm. um, because a, they would, they would, they would do it for me. Mm. And so just trying to be a voice for people that don't have one anymore and, um, you know, just trying to stay as positive as I can because it's always, it o- could always be worse. Really? I mean, and we've heard that our whole mm-hmm. lives, but <clears throat> for somebody who, I've never been diagnosed with it. So I would say it could always be worse. I could be dying. I mean, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's what, and Mm -hmm. and yet you're saying that, but we are all dying. Right. You mean, I loved, I loved your point. I'm going to die. You're going to die. We're all going to die. Um, but I I get to live Mm -hmm. and that's the thing. I have the chance. Mm -hmm. I have the chance to live 
and it may not look the way I thought it was going to look, but my husband's a lot hotter than I thought I'd ever marry. <laughs> I definitely married up. And I mean, this is, this isn't what we dreamed that this is the cards we were dealt. And, you know, we've got a roof over our head and it could be worse. It just, okay. it could be so much worse. Take ALS off the table and it could be worse. And so I'm just thankful for what we have and what we've been given. And, um, you know, I think for 27 years I was chasing something, chasing, trying to find my purpose in this world and with my life and my life's calling. And it's, it's a hard, it's a hard platform to be, to have, Mm -hmm. but I'm thankful for the opportunity to share. Mm -hmm. And it gives me, the credibility and the opportunity to empower those around me to live their best life. Mm, sure does. Without having to go through this part. And this part's not that bad. I mean, we will right through security at the airport. So there, <laughs> there, there are, are worse things. There are worse things than you know, not being able to walk through airport security. So, Are you scared to die? I'm not. I'm not scared to die. I know where I'm going. Um, I'm scared for those around me um, of how that's going to happen. Um, I had to sign an advance directive at my very first appointment, um, and I amended that once I got married to his our conversations. Um, I think my biggest fear with that is that I'm not going to either be able to vocalize how I want that process to happen or that people around me my decision makers are going to live with regret Mm -hmm. because they're making decisions that I'm not for me that I'm not there Mm -hmm. to and so my advanced directive is written in a way that I hope gives brings peace to those that make those decisions Mm -hmm. if I'm not there to make them what an what an amazing gift to give them and I mean if it's up to me, we're going to throw a big party. <laughs> I'll see you on the flip side. <laughs> Y'all go home. I'll go home. I'll really go home after I take a handful. You know, it's just, you know, I want to set up and provide and make sure everybody around me is taken care of. And the last thing I want is for my death to bring any kind of regret or heartache to people. I mean, I'm going to live as long and as loud as I can and once quantity overcomes quality then i'm i'm done what if you could say to friends and family if you could give one piece of advice to friends and family who um a a family member receives a terminal diagnosis if you could give them one bit of advice what would you say That's a good one. Um, I tell everybody just to hug me and to love me through this. Mm. You know, um, just there are some days that I need to be smothered. Mm. And there are some days that I need to just be my myself. But for the most part, I need I need hugs and love and support. Be there. Show and up. If, yeah. And if that means texting me at 2 a.m. because you know I'm not sleeping, then... Do that if that means, you know, seeing me when you can or and understanding when I can't be there. But just just love me. 
through this. What would you say to the person who just received the terminal diagnosis, who's trying to process it? You've had three, three and a half years now mm-hmm. to process this. And so what would you say to someone who, who got a new diagnosis? I would tell them to jump in and get involved in mm-hmm. the community around them, um, whether it's through ALS TDI or the MDA or ALS Association. I mean, there's all these wonderful organizations out there for you, there to help you make your life better. And I, I support and I appreciate those that choose to, do, to fight this fight on their own mm-hmm. and to do it secretly and to um, just lean on those closest around them and not make it public. Um, that's just not my personality. Mm-hmm. And I am so much stronger and so much better today for the people I've met through this journey mm-hmm. that I can't imagine having gone home and clammed up mm-hmm. and not shared really good really good advice Sunny I cannot thank you enough you're you're my first podcast interview that I cried oh <laughs> winning hashtag winning you want to ask a quick question before yeah. we go ask, uh, just out of curiosity um, because you said this is something that you have not something that you are um, and you're not I'm one of the warriors that you're talking about like extremely yeah. neurotic but just out of curiosity I mean did you ever have times where maybe you caught yourself at getting a little into your head too much and you're saying oh yes. god this is starting to define me I need to get this under control yeah so I like I told Great you question. I lost okay. um, I lost my I lost four or five friends in the last couple of months and this is the first time in my entire life I have depression mm-hmm. and I've never Never had depression. Um, And so I was very raw and honest about that in my blog and um, found it very cathartic to let other people know that I'm I'm not happy-go-lucky, sunshiny every day. All the time. I am real. This is me. Um, You know, and I think that that helps because it lets people know you and not just you're not just making this facade, especially in this world that we live in and social media where everything is sunshine and rainbows. And that's not the case. Like I, I do have hard days and those were the days that my friends really reached out and took care of me. So everyone kind of has cracks in the armor and that's one of them. But I mean, that's gotta be uncommon that you have that many, you know, things that you have to deal with all at once, like in that time frame. Right. Over, you know, a six-month period, that's right. that's a lot. Yeah. And then uh, my grandmother died, and my sister's getting married. I mean, and my best friend had triplets. And, we, I mean, we've just been all <laughs> over the map as far as emotions go. And so I think that, um, you know, I, I, I say I'm not a worrier, but there are days that I worry. Sure. You know, I mean, it's just you can't epitomize one certain emotion or you will become neurotic whether that's enough or downer you know otherwise so um sunny you have you are on social media yes and you have a blog where you openly talk about this and people can follow your journey will you Mm -hmm. share all of that with us yes so sunny strong um is our kind of our name um we have it's sunnystrong.com is our website we do um I try to do daily posts about either what's going on with us, and um, that's called life as we know it. Um, 
Who's us? Who are you talking um, about? Us is whoever makes the blog that day. Oh, okay. So it could be this, our time today will be on there eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it may just be my fat cat asleep on the couch <laughs> or, um, you know, it's the weddings or it's just whatever. Okay. It's life. Who, whoever mm-hmm. us is that day. Mm-hmm. Um, I do, I talk about the Radakava, I call it Radakava ridiculousness, um, and just kind of my journey with getting the port put in and how we got to that process and that I had issues with the port and um, what we talked about with how much insurance pays and I pay and um, we talk about, I have one part that's called Heiko Alaiko and that's kind of our anything that small town or bumpkin related um (laughs) one thing that we're really trying to get off the ground this year is called um adventures for sunny strong so trying to do events related um around awareness and Mm. promotion of sunny strong and of um als in general so we did a cornhole tournament a couple weeks ago Um, i have a good friend jake who's running in the um Ure 100 and uh, ultra running in Colorado. Dang. He's going to do 100. I think it's 100 miles. He's insane. It's it, Richter's Lost His Mind is the name of the whole like <laughs> thing. But he's raising money for this and awareness, race sure, and awareness yeah. for Sunny Strong. And, awesome. Um, we're just we're doing stuff all the time. We have a store. We sell shirts and koozies and... Um, we do walks. We're going to walk on October 27th in Trinity Park in Fort Worth with the ALS Association. Um, we always set up an after party so we can booze it up afterwards. <laughs> so you can honk your horn. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, I threw out the first pitch at the Rangers game last year. Oh, that's um, awesome. So, yeah. So it's it's sharing new information that's coming out about ALS. It's sharing what's going on in my life and in the lives of those around me. Um, and some days it's, it's just, this is what, you know, this is what grinds my gears. Why are the gas tanks on different sides of cars? That is so annoying. Why is it not on the driver's side of every car? You know? And so sometimes it's just absolute rambling. And then some days it's, emotional and powerful and kind of everything in between but so we're on so oh, we're on uh instagram we're on facebook we have the website um we're working on getting our 501c3 filed so that we can awesome. really start doing some foundational stuff um my goal is to build up sunny strong into a a a resource for people, mm. whether mm. it's monetary really or in, information, and just help those around us God. live wow. through this. I can't imagine how many people you've inspired and helped, and and just, gosh, I, I mean, I have so many words. I have so many words, and I just want to thank you for coming and sharing and being open. And there's so much more I'd I'd love to know, and I know everybody's gonna love following you and continuing on with this journey with you we i can't thank you enough well, thank i really you. can't thank you enough sunny it's i've loved all of it awesome this to be exciting. here with you today yes thank you for having me